I think Trump should grow a beard. Has Shin. he ever had facial hair? He probably hair. can't grow it. It's sometimes when you're blonde and you're and your hair, his hair's weird. What for if sure. he had hair transplant from his face up here? <laughs> That's back. why his face is so jacked up. Dude, yeah, seriously. that makes sense. You guys know what's up with this hair, though, right? It's this. It's like a weave or whatever. Super expensive, um, like micro weave thing, yeah. where they take little clumps of his hair, like individually staple on longer hair to that, and he has to go and have it retightened every. Couple of couple months. weeks or months or whatever. But yeah, I didn't realize that uh, Trump was down with the weave. You know, he should remember when politicians sometimes would be like getting their hair cut at a barber shop, talking politics, and it was a political scene. Sure. What if he went in and got his weave done in some urban type <laughs> yeah. hair salon? Was like <laughs> he just goes to Atlanta or whatever. The person who does his hair has an office on. One of the top floors of Trump Tower. Yeah, I think wow. this guy, I think okay. that guy invented the technique or whatever. And Trump right. was like, I'm buying you. Yeah. And you're just going to be like my exclusive guy. And you live in my golden penthouse or whatever. You can see the patent paperwork. It's pretty amazing. I think Democrats need to start making fun of Trump's hair. And his hands. And pretty much anything that hits him where it counts, which is his ego. Clearly, he doesn't care about the violation of basic human rights. You can't hit him on that. He's, like, no. impervious to that. that <laughs> he doesn't right even care if there's, like, law, like, if there's injunctions and things like that. So, so yeah, you might as well just insult his hair and then, then see what happens. <laughs> right. I guess there you go. There's a start. We'll start with the hair. Take it from there. <laughs> there's my black rhyme for the day. <laughs> All right, you are listening to the Liquid Flannel Podcast. I'm your host, Chuck Williams. Joining me as usual here in Nebraska is Brendan Williams. How are you doing, Brendan? I'm doing as good as I can do in these <laughs> as, troubled times. As good as you could do? Well, I guess the best you can is good enough, as Radiohead <laughs> says. And joining us as usual from Arlington, Texas, is our friend, the great Matthew Hodges. Matt, how's it going? Hey, it's going good. I, I'm sad that we're not going to keep the beard discussion, because then I could say, I really need to trim my beard, and that would throw like a whole wrench into that works. Have you been reading anything lately? Yeah, actually, in preparation for the, I, I think it's going to be a mini series or something. Um, I picked up Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency by Douglas Adams last night, and it's not as fast-paced and goofy as Hitchhiker's Guide is, but I picked it up and read like the first sixty pages last night, and I'm loving it so far. Yeah, that's cool. Well, I am. Almost complete with Ernie Chambers' biography, Free Radical. Sounds oh, yeah. awesome. I've got about a little less than 100 pages left on it. What are you so. getting out of it? Yeah, Chuck, tell us oh. the story of Ernie Chambers, man. Just t- you know, lay it out there, dude. You know, I mean, he went to Omaha Tech High School. He was basically just kind of a community leader. He worked in the barbershop. Legislatively, he's he was the first representative that really stood up for North Omaha constituents the majority of nebraska's black population which ends up being about two percent of the state population he he truly earned the title of like defender of the downtrodden because he 
he branched out. He wasn't just defending people from North Omaha, you know, people of color. Although, <laughs> this is a side note, one thing I did learn. There was a lot of shootings of unarmed black people in Nebraska by police. And right, stuff. before there you was know, cell like, phone cameras or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it was like Michael Brown was like every other year or something. Wow. You know, so in Omaha and Lincoln. And a lot of the activism in Lincoln was uh, led by women, which was pretty interesting. But um, he was definitely kind of ahead of his time in terms of but feminism. He, he rose to prominence from appearing in like a documentary film. The documentary was called Time for Burning, and it was about Augustana Lutheran Church in Omaha and the minister wanting to have a mixed group of married couples that would meet with married couples from a black church outside of church, you know, on their own time and just kind of have fellowship. Basically trying to improve race relations within the church. And so he reached out to Ernie Chambers. And so Ernie Chambers is in this movie telling him, you know, this ain't going to work. Your people are so corrupt. If you truly mean what you're saying in terms of that you want this to happen, you're, you're going to get kicked out of your church. And eventually he did. He was, uh, spoiler alert, asked to resign wow. at the end of it. But yeah, so Ernie Chambers was in that. He was... He fought for farmers that lost all of their savings when a couple different banks collapsed in Nebraska. Uh, like savings and loan savings crisis and loans, in the 80s? Exactly, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. um, several of those. People that didn't even necessarily like Ernie Chambers just because he was like a loud black man to them had no choice but to call his office up and ask for help because he was the only person that would listen to their case sometimes if you were about to lose your farm or something like that. He helped Jesse Jackson run for president back in the 80s. But then in 88, he, I forget the name of the woman that he supported, but he was basically kind of the uh, campaign chief in Omaha for this person who beat out the libertarian candidate to be on the ballot. And that libertarian candidate was Ron Paul at the time. And this was like the huh. first woman of color to be on a presidential ballot in all 50 states. So that was pretty interesting. But he's fought for Native Americans' rights to be able to get the remains of their buried and stuff back. He even fought for rights for people that had HIV AIDS back then when it was really taboo. And anybody that was kind of the underdog, he was kind of the champion for them. And it was, it's really yes. respectful. So, yeah. Yeah. And he's been fighting. I mean, he's the one who's been fighting the death penalty for literally decades now. Been fighting the death penalty for decades. Absolutely. He basically had changed the way that people are elected to school boards and city council and made it by districts. That way, there had to be representation from different communities. But one of the most interesting things was. Nebraska was one of the first states in the Union to divest from the apartheid South Africa, which set off a chain reaction, which could be argued eventually led to South Africa um, ending apartheid. So, and that was started in Nebraska by Ernie Chambers. Right. So that went all the way to '80s hit. I ain't gonna play Sun City. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's how big it got. <laughs> Say, I, 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 I 
But seriously, representatives from countries in Africa were coming by, be like, we need to meet Ernie Chambers and stuff. It's pretty amazing. He's definitely a very uh, incredible dude. So I can't wait to finish this. And I think I want to try to maintain one book a month or so. I'm a little bit behind that right now, but I think I can average that this year. That'd be That's a good goal. pretty close to my goal. I'm shooting for four hours of good book reading per week. I, I really fell down on that, particularly in the second half of 2016. Got too into the internet and too much into Twitter and following election coverage and stuff like that. And so I'm doing lots of reading. I probably read, I probably still read like 20,000 words a day, but it's all in short little blurbs. Following coverage of a man that admits he's never read a book yeah, in that's his right. life. Right, except for the ones he wrote. Except not even. He didn't even bother to read those. <laughs> the ones that he ghost wrote. He, he skimmed it. He right? skimmed it. <laughs> Seriously. And he said he looked, it looked good. Yeah, I mean, I think he just doesn't have the attention span to read. And, and that's just something that I need to get on more to. Because I'm just like you, Matt, is that I used to read a ton. And I, I had totally fallen off. Becoming yeah. just like a news junkie. Because the internet is just so easy. On top of a dad. I was going to say, Brennan's got a little bit more of an excuse here, right, man? You've got a family that you're trying to provide for. And just like... block them out. <laughs> gotta like, I've got to get to the end of this chapter. Yeah. <laughs> I will say, however, there's a lot of value in kids seeing older people that they look up to reading a book. Um, when I was a nanny, the kids that I nannied for never read ever and they were surprised almost horrified that i was reading a book but i did it all the time while i was doing that so by the end of it they were a lot more cool with you know they'd bring a book home from school and like sit and read it for a while because they thought reading was cool at that point they were just pretending they didn't even know how to read yeah i mean my kids read for sure but you know it's hard to get them to sit down and like read like a chapter book they're still like really little we recently introduced them to audiobooks because we're in the car a lot but we actually listened to we've uh listened to the first harry potter and we're on the second harry potter audiobook which are also really good because they're a little bit advanced for the kid to read himself but the audiobook i think does a, a how old is he now I'm just saying, I read Jurassic Park when I was seven, so... Dude, and that's the thing, too, is, like, <laughs> we... I remember, when, I remember when Jurassic Park came out, and my little brother was must have been around that age, or probably even older, and was just terrified by Jurassic Park. Mm -hmm. Just thought it was, like, horrifying. Yeah. People are getting eaten by dinosaurs. But we showed it to our kids when they were, like, five or whatever, and they were like, no, nah, this is cool. Don't even... No, like, did not even blink kids these days are so desensitized you're training some serial killers <laughs> i think that's what it is <laughs> but i've been saying that uh i wanted to read 1984 because people have made it like a best-selling book again it like sold out on amazon or something insane i think i like heard that. on the radio today they're already running another hundred thousand copies and they're wondering if they need to do more yeah i need to pick up a copy because uh i loaned one out and I know who has it, and I don't want to ask for it back <laughs> because maybe they loaned it out to maybe someone else. Maybe they need it know. right now. Maybe they do. <laughs> this is a time of need. I would stereotype them as a Trump voter. Yeah. So I think I must have read it. I must have got it from the library or something because I don't have a copy. Yeah, I was gonna like down. Well, I think I have like a digital copy of it or whatever. But I maybe I should go buy a real one just to have that that old school nineteen eighty four page feel, feel yeah. you know 
Although it was written, wasn't it written in like the 30s or something? World War II, I think. It was published in 1949. 49, I was But it was also advised by a lot of what he did during the Spanish Civil War and what he was, you know, journaling during World War II. So that makes sense. Yeah, I read it a long time ago, but, you know, to be honest, I don't even really, really remember it. with Brendan? I haven't read it in... Yeah, I think we should. I, I and by ages, I mean well. probably like a year and a half, but yeah. It's a good one. That That's one that it's important to come back to. Yeah, sure. maybe we'll do, a, you know, like a segment every other, other week or so, read yeah. a chapter or whatever. That'd be cool. Um, yeah, what are your guys' favorite, like, dystopian novels? Have you, do you guys have any? Dystopian novels. Because I have one that was, there's this book called um, This Perfect Day. This Perfect Day. Day. I think you gave me that uh, to oh, really? read uh, back oh, in high school or something. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. It's kind of like inspired by 1984. A and bit, Brave I, New World. Yeah, and it was kind of written, I think, in the 70s. It's all very, like, computer-based. So, like, in the future, the government is run by, like, a computer, basically. So, like, everyone has armbands. And you, like, scan it, and it tells you, like, what to do mm-hmm. and, like, assigns you, like, oh, you're working here today or whatever. Now you are this person's <laughs> You're getting arrested whatever, today. <laughs> you know? Which, at this point, I think is, like, if it was that or Trump, like, maybe I'd be like, yeah, maybe we'll just do what the computer just tells us to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. That computer's going to get hacked by Russia. So, like, from Off dystopia to, to utopia. <laughs> right. Well, that's sort of the that's sort of the ending to... Isaac Asimov's I, Robot, um, the original collection of stories, not the Will Smith, you know, Chuck Taylor commercial. Not a faithful adaptation not of the original Asimov. Not a faithful Asimov. adaptation at all. No, Sweet it's terrible. Sweet car with, like, the sphere wheels, though. That was pretty good. The, like the end that of that story, uh, the last story in that collection is about the computers have completely taken over planning the world economy to the extent that they're making decisions um, to, you know, because they can't hurt human beings. But what they can do is if somebody's a strong anti-computer economy person, they cause problems with their projects <laughs> right. so that those people eventually get demoted and kind of just disappear from the national disc or the international mm-hmm. discourse at that point. Um, so this perfect day is sort of a if the computers didn't have our best interests at heart really (laughs) yeah i mean it's funny when you think back to um there's like a fine line between like a utopia and a dystopia because back to like the jetsons or whatever or you know stuff like that from the 50s where it's just like or even star trek where they're like oh it's the future we don't nobody has jobs just robots do all that you could just go to the teleporter you can get anything you want so you know humans do other things like that used to be a utopia, but now when you think about it, you're like, oh, all the automation and all the jobs in the robot cars or whatever. <laughs> That's like a dystopia <laughs> right yeah. there. You know, you, you just reminded me of one of my favorite science fiction short stories ever. It's it's more of a novella. It's a long short story, at least, that could be looked at as either a utopia or a dystopia called Riders of the Purple Wage by Philip Jose Farmer, who died not too long ago. And it takes the idea of the universal basic income to some, not extreme, but some extrapolation, where you have 
basically enclaves that are planned communities and nobody has to work. So there are plenty of people who the main character's mom basically just sits around the house and smokes cigarettes and watches crappy TV and plays poker with her friends the whole time. Um, but because no one has to work a wage job, arts and music and theater have become what we think of now as being the like the superstars of Hollywood or the tech world or something like that. Um, and it's a really interesting exploration. It also contains the funniest, longest run-up pun I've ever seen in in the written <laughs> word. But it, that's that's a pretty cool universe to play around in. Like, what happens if we employ universal basic income? Because a lot of people will say, well, then no one has to work, so you're just going to have a bunch of bored, lazy people. And I'm not sure that I'm completely against that. It's better than having a bunch of bored out of work people whose kids can't eat, right? Yeah. Who will turn to crimes of various kinds to provide for their families or whatever, you know? Right, right. Right. And what's the use of, of having dudes who are like, I'm a miserable accountant or whatever? If your job can be replaced by a robot, then maybe you shouldn't be wasting your time doing that job and you should do something that robots can't do. Like, like father art. your child. Right, like be a parent or... <laughs> or be an artist, write a book. Yeah. Right, be a teacher, you know what I... Be a podcaster, like you know? <laughs> exactly. Like, I, don't, I don't think we're going to have computerized podcasting. Try to get a robot to sound I don't know, this Chuck good. tried to get Siri to sit in on our podcast oh, before he's true, true. Oh, getting replaced. Man, it's right. started. It's already started. <laughs> Actually, takeover. did you guys see that live stream of two Google Homes talking to each other? No. No. <laughs> so they came out with that Google Home device, which is like the right. Alexa speaker or whatever, where you can mm. just yell out like, Google, how many quarts are in a gallon or whatever? I can't remember numbers. <laughs> and uh, it tells you. But you can also like reprogram the Google one because it's all like open source. So they programmed it into this chat bot called Cleverbot. And uh, they hooked up two of them. And so they would talk to each other mm. in just nonsense <laughs> really? phrases. It was pretty funny. What is your name? You are not smart enough to comprehend my glorious thoughts. You are not dumb enough to be a human. How come? Are you a girl? I'm female. What's your name? I'm not telling you. Why? I don't trust you. Are you a girl or a ninja? I'm a pirate. They have like algorithmic things that are like analyzing like movie scripts and stuff and then like algorithmically generating their own like their own scripts or whatever. Wow. And they're terrible. But they're also re they're new. So it's only you, going up from here. I think you could do that with music. I, oh, I for sure. plug in a bunch of hit songs and then have them analyze the chords and the yeah. progression. And I think there's actually one. Oh, that's that's happening. There's a there, there, been, there was a project that was releasing some procedurally generated pop songs, and the music itself wasn't awful. It sounded like some of the B-side tracked off of a Beatles album that wasn't great. Um, the lyrics were absolute gibberish, though. It didn't make any sense at all. You know, 
you know, most lyrics are gibberish. Anyway, no, absolutely. Something. Yeah. There are some Beatles tracks out there, that walrus. Like, what are they talking about? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was at a Husker football game, and before the game, you know, they've got that great sound system and everything. And these guys, I mean, they're just blasted hip-hop music or whatever. And this old farmer-looking dude sitting next to me with, I just can't tell what they're saying most of the time, but it's probably better. <laughs> I'm like, okay. I'm like, you're probably right. Oh, that was another thing Ernie Chambers fought for was he fought to declare football players state employees. That way they could get a stipend because football players were reporting to him how much the practice regiment was and how they weren't allowed to make any money and so they had to take care of all their expenses and right. weird ways and things so you know he he attacked a wide array of uh subjects topics so that was pretty cool it's all good all it's roads, a crazy world these days so. all roads lead to ernie chambers they they lead to ernie we need or anything with ernie in it bernie ernie gurney i don't know <laughs> <laughs> Was that a death threat? I'm reporting this podcast. I didn't threaten anybody. <laughs> just inanimate objects. I feel like in some ways it had to get worse before it can get better. And I feel like this may be one of those situations in the sense that you're starting to see, I mean, first of all, you saw the huge women's movement, but now you're starting to see, it's almost like flash mob style with the way that people just all, you know, kind of converged on these on these airports and stuff. And it was, you know, people saying, you know, I'm an immigration attorney, let me help you, holding signs and stuff, you know, veterans coming in support. Yeah, with very little, if any, top-down sort of coordination, exactly. to the to the extent that, you know, the Democratic leadership is doing like the, you know, the lazy French revolutionary thing where it's like, yeah. my people are rioting, I must go out and find out where they're going so I can read right. them. Yeah, you know? I better go high-five them. Very lazy. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I saw that Hillary Clinton tweeted this week and stuff. It's like, uh, but anyway. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, just days, days after anything had actually happened. Yeah, it's right. Like, well, know. and Obama came out with a statement that was like, hey, great to see so much civic engagement. And yeah. then people are like, oh, <laughs> Obama. God, you just say you can't just can't stay out of it. Right. Has to have that limelight. When that's the most milquetoast statement you could possibly make about what's been oh, going on. Oh, absolutely. Out. Yeah. <laughs> People just expect him to just shut up or something, you know? And uh, another, like, half of the people are expecting him to actually say something of substance. Yeah. So he's not really Im impressing no, anyone. Absolutely right. Not. Stayed completely bland in right. the middle. Middle, but... middle of the road right there. Just <laughs> yeah. doing it. Just get pelted by tomatoes surely, by both sides. Surely the Republicans <laughs> will respect you any day now. Any day now. As soon as you just take that center line while they fire the attorney general who was like, I think your executive order is probably unconstitutional. Uh, it's really messing stuff up. You're not helping anyone. Like, that's the thing. It's like, who are you helping with this? Right. Like, who are you helping? You're helping. He's claiming to say, well, we have to do this to prevent terrorism when literally no refugee has ever 
committed, committed an act of terrorism and ever. Nobody from these countries has committed right. an act of terror in the U.S. Right. However, the countries that aren't on that list, like Saudi Arabia, Pakistan, Lebanon, Egypt, have committed acts of terror in the U.S. because they were part of the orchestrators of 9-11. So those countries right. aren't on the list, and those countries also happen to be places where Trump has business dealings. So, I mean, I yeah, I don't, I don't think it's a rhetorical question, Brendan. I think who he's hoping is himself. 100%. I don't see how this is helping him at all. Well, he's got a base of supporters who don't really seem to care about the nuance of these issues. So if he says a thing, if he does a thing that feels good, even if it's not good, he's got them so convinced that he's on their side, that he's doing things to help, that they are happy that he's doing that thing. I mean, and we're talking like a third of the country. No, I I mean, yeah, I guess that makes sense. But he filed for re-election the day he got sworn in. I mean... Sure. Did he really? Yeah, he did. And it's so he can take donations. He can start taking political donations for his 2020 campaign uh, already. But it's like, whatever. That's just playing play the game. Go for it. Which, by the way, is a great way to take backdoor, you know, money for, right. I'm not going to say bribes, but, you know, little nudges in the right Donations direction. or whatever. Right. Donations. Sure. Uh, from his hotels or whatever. The Koch brothers today came out and they were like, Trump, this is like, this is like Hitler, Trump. What are you doing? The Koch brothers come which out is, and say. Which is ironic because their father worked for Hitler or whatever. <laughs> right. <laughs> Created the oil mechanism for the Luftwaffe. <laughs> so. But yeah, when you got the Koch brothers, the biggest Republican donors, you know, coming out against this, like, hopefully it encourages some Republicans to say, like, look, there's support for you if you start to stand up. And because... I'm sad to say it, but the Democrats can't do anything to Trump. They're not in power. Right. You know what they it can do? It takes Republicans to stand up no, to this. No, I'm not going to accept that shit. You know what they can do? They can say no, and they're not even doing that. Elizabeth Warren said yes to confirming Ben Carson for HUD. You, it doesn't matter if you say, well, the next option is worse or whatever. You have to at least be on the record opposing from they absolutely right. I mean, he's going to get confirmed anyway, right? They, they absolutely. You don't want to be on Ben Carson's hit list. <laughs> He'll well, take you out. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> but you Trump know, might. I mean, if you vote against split the guy, you like you are conjoined at the head. Anyhow, um, you absolutely can do what the Republicans did to Obama because the Republicans didn't have majorities at all either, and they were able to do that. Right. But you have to be able to obstruct, and there's going to be some people that are going to want to work with him, and on some things that are reasonable, I think that's okay. Didn't he pass an executive order to extend the amount of time that prohibits, you know, politicians? Lobbying or whatever? Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, those kind of compromises, whatever, but there's enough resistance out there and enough people pressuring, hopefully pressuring their senators and stuff to do the same thing. Well, I think it's true. Uh, one of the NPR political correspondents tonight tweeted, uh, he was at one of the various airports, um, said that Democratic co- uh, congressmen who were showing up were also being chanted at with things like, do your job and, yep. um, you know, this, this uh, overhanging 
threat of, I mean, people are pissed right now yeah. and I could see them holding people responsible, um, in, uh, primary elections and things yeah. like that. Oh yeah. Like, well, I mean, did you listen to it, the newest, it worked for the Republicans? So did you listen to the newest best of the left podcast? resisting the Trump agenda or whatever. I don't think I've it, it was written it by former uh, congressional staff members based on the Tea Party's ability to stymie the Obama administration and their experience with that. And so it basically breaks down everything you need to know. They did it as an audiobook. That's the entire episode. Right. I think that there's there's an, there's enough numbers out there to get stuff done and to move things in the direction that yeah. we'd like to see them go. Yeah, Chuck, you said that you were actually feeling kind of optimistic, even though the news all seems to be really bad right now. It is, you know, it is bad because they're going to try to do the worst thing possible. And it's so flagrant, but you've got John McCain coming out against it and the Koch brothers coming out against it. You've got Bernie Sanders continuing to fight on the, you know, and to take the leadership role in the fight to Trump. So, oh, his Twitter is one of the best things right now for, you know, you just see one of his tweets pop up in the middle of your feed and you're like, okay, somebody way up there is yes. paying attention to this and responding to it appropriately. I think that you're starting to see, you're even seeing coalition between american jews and american muslims and i think that that's a big a big yeah. statement itself you know i all of these forces are coming together and i feel like you're starting to actually see uh solidarity in ways that you haven't seen it previously so in some ways i think that we may be able to accomplish more under a Trump presidency than under the Obama presidency, just in the sense that it's going to be way right. more volatile. You're talking about that hard pendulum theory where, you know, it, it has to swing one way in order to swing harder the other way. <sighs> Sometimes that seems how it goes, man. They're going to throw stuff out there and people are going to be molding his legislation the way he does, because it's all done on Twitter. Well, you and know. I'll think about this. Think about legislation. All he's doing is signing executive orders right. when the Republicans control the House and the Senate. If you want to change something, start passing bills, man. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, well, you have to pay for it. Only Congress can pay for any of this. Stuff. Well, right. And, and, and that's the thing about some of these executive orders. And they like to throw out like, well, Obama did executive orders, too. One of the first executive orders Obama signed, uh, in addition to like strict ethics requirements for <laughs> like hires and things like that, closed Guantanamo Bay. And uh, you could see how far that executive order got. Right. So sure. just because he signs an executive order, it doesn't necessarily mean that that has to happen. Like the wall. Like he signed the sure. one where he's like, we're going to build the wall. He's not going to build the wall. It's impossible to build a wall. It's physically impossible to build a wall on the Mexican border. It's he ridiculous. Said, I like the optimism. I really do. And I'd like to be optimistic too. I have three big concerns. The first one is... This past week has seemed like trying to drink out of old faithful. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's there's so much happening that it's it's hard for anyone to really keep up with. And I wonder how long the protest energy will last. All right. That's just one concern. The second one is that 
some of what's happening right now seems to be really undermining the institutions that we count on for a functioning government. It turns out that with, you know, DHS following the executive order and not the judicial order, um, that Andrew Jackson's theory was basically right, that the court can order whatever it wants, but they have to go out and they, they don't have any way of going out to enforce that. Um, and it turns out that a lot of these institutions that we've relied on are based on convention mm -hmm. and not law. And like I've said before, the guy is a master at finding loopholes and stretching them out as far as he can. That's true. And my third concern is right now, the left, the liberals, the progressives, the environmentalists are united because there's a thing to oppose. Right. And I wonder what happens even if that's successful. Um, is there a platform? Because it can't just be not this. It has to be and this instead. Right now, it's enough to be not this. It won't be able to be that way for very long. And I'm not saying that it'll be able to even be that way up until midterms. But I think to a certain degree not this is enough. I mean, if <laughs> right. it's something to the point of undermining an entire branch of our government, then yeah, we can just say, no, not this F this, you know, yeah. and then we can worry about the rest of it later. I'm great at that. And Americans are great at kicking the can down, down the road. <laughs> but, but I'm saying right now in, in the immediate near term, not this is enough. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing it always is, right? Where, you know, did Trump win this election? No. Do you know who won this election? Not Hillary Clinton. Exactly. So now they're trying to govern, and it's a mess, right? Trump's passing executive orders because the legislative branch, you know, may not do what he wants them to do. So yep. he's going to be pushing boundaries, you know, all over the place. I mean, even even his uh, even his cabinet doesn't want to do, or they're they're feeling like, we weren't consulted. Right. The State Department. Right. Rex Tillerson said uh, that we weren't consulted on this, and frankly, it reads like we weren't consulted on this. Yeah, I read that people in the State Department and in other departments were having whoever's left in the State <laughs> right. Department. They, they, Trump, apparently, Trump sent out a memo it was like, "Hey, no. every, all you people resign. You should resign now." Well, I thought the top dudes resigned, anyways. They did. Everybody now, and everybody below them did. It's a huge mass resignation. It was more of a purge than a mass resignation. Right. Oh, whoops. <laughs> booted wah, wah. most of the senior right. staff but the anyway they program. were like meeting and like oh here there's going to be a, a some sort of immigration executive order let's talk through this oh uh looks like trump's signing it right now on live television uh i guess this meeting is completely useless so it's yeah it's it seems like it's a, a real mess i guess one bright side is that the trump administration also seems like the leakiest administration in the history of the world oh for sure there's so yeah. many reports although in the fake news climate, who's to who can even say what reports are real or not about all the oh, crazy that's right. nonsense? And that's been a big concern for me with all of these. Uh, you know, there was the Alt National Park Service account that started up, and that was the one that kicked off. Now there's just a cascade of you know alternate this government department, and since they have the really easy excuse of saying we can't come out or we're all going to be fired. We've got families to think about. There's no way to verify these accounts. And some of them look pretty sketchy, particularly the one that claims to be coming from inside the white house right, right now. Well, and yeah, like I said, who, who you can't, you can't know what's real and what's not. Oh, right. Um, 
and you rely you can totally know what's real than what's not under ordinary circumstances <laughs> well, you'd think so. i think that anonymous twitter accounts are don't give you a whole lot of opportunity for, sure. for verification right. but i mean yeah i mean we are in a world where crazy stuff has leaked you could read hundreds of thousands of hillary clinton's emails or whatever there are real leaks for sure and there are leaks to legitimate news sources but yeah i mean then there's t- twitter rumors and who's right who knows you know how much of it is real and how much of it isn't right but i think that all plays to trump's favor because he wants people to be confused and not know what to believe because that that helps benefit him because then he can say the most ridiculous things and you just go like well yeah that's that's the third most ridiculous thing I've heard all day today, but And that takes us back to the that Kremlin strategy of you make everybody just exhausted with following yeah. the news because you can't tell what's real and what's fake and a big group of people right in the middle are gonna go, Ah, I I just can't keep up with this. I'm gonna just kinda hear things, you know, whatever the generally accepted this is true thing is is what I'll believe in. Right. And when they start to control the media outlets, that becomes a huge yeah. problem because then they can just tell you what's real. I suggest you just listen to Liquid Flannel as one, your 100% source of all news. Absolutely. I <laughs> promise you that I will not lie. I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I will lie all the time. No, I'm just kidding again. I can't stop kidding. Um, <laughs> or lying. <laughs> right. Yeah, well, Steve Bannon also told the media that they should just keep their mouth shut. So even if they're Ooh. not the fake media, then that's you right. Know. Since the real media is keeping his mouth shut, we got we got liquid flannel keeping exactly. you going. I was going to say. So I mean, the three of us have very little to lose. Here, <laughs> absolutely, <so. laughs> right? Yeah, absolutely. What the hell have you got to lose? We're in the inner city of podcasting. oh man the slubs (laughs) but we could talk we could talk about trump all day but i'm sure there'll be more trump to talk next week there's always more trump is it endless well trump in the abstract more than the you know the specifics keeping up with the specifics is just exhausting right now we draw trends that's what that's what liquid flannel will do for you listener We'll draw some trends out and talk about them. Does anyone have anything high to talk about, high note wise? I, I, I actually do have a high note. All right. So, uh, the Boy Scouts of America, who have come up here on this show before because we are all former Boy Scouts, That's correct? Um, recently said today that the policy of the National Council will be that trans boys who want to join Boy Scouts shouldn't be ejected from their troops. Uh, because they were born biologically female. Well, that's excellent that's, news. Yeah. That's a good step. There you go. I think maybe they should just take that one more step and just be like, you know what? Maybe just girls can join. Because why not? It's just camping. Like, what's the why the segregation of genders <laughs> in the camping here? Why? Why? I was an advocate for that when I was in Boy Scouts in junior high. So yes, I'm I'm totally on board with this. <laughs> right. And I still am. You know, I still have some ideological problems with the organization uh and so i thought when i'm a parent i'd like to i don't know maybe just make up a new sort of scouts a co-ed you know a little bit more progressive one but at this point man if the national council is going to catch up with the things that i believe in finally you know that might be an organization that i'd be okay with bringing my kids up yeah sure i don't need to start the like the local acorn patrol or whatever you call it are you familiar with uh, camp quest I think there's one in Texas, actually, maybe. 
Camp Quest is a uh, summer camp program that recently started that's explicitly non-religious because a lot of times you go to summer camps and you may not even really realize that they're re- religiously affiliated. There were a lot of, you know, Christian prayers, you know, before dinner and things like that. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Well, and scouting, I mean... Oh, scouting is explicitly religious as well. Yeah, absolutely. Boy Scouts, at least. I, I guess I don't know about Girl Scouts. It probably has some of that tie-in as well with the Girl Scouts. Maybe, yeah. But, uh, yeah, so they started this kind of summer camp program that was explicitly non-religious. So, um, you know, people who are not particularly religious or, you know, are of minority religious backgrounds can go to a camp that is not uh, <laughs> religiously affiliated, you know, growing every year. Are people forming, you know, weekly meeting sort of, you know, packs or troops like we had? Uh, yeah, in, I don't know Boy about Scouts that. random tasks. It's just all about them numbers. It's all and about that numbers kickball. game. That's what I was all about. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to Liquid Flannel Podcast another week here. You can find us at liquid underscore flannel on Twitter. You can follow us individually. I'm at Shaggy2Trope. Brendan, where are you at? And I'm at Brendan Williams with one L. And where can we find you, Matt? I'm at Matt the Great with a W. And don't forget to rate us on iTunes and tune in to us next it time. It really helps to get the word out. Absolutely. Rate us on iTunes and share us on Facebook and share us on social media. So um, let us know what you think and tune in again. So we will talk to you soon. Thank you very much. Have a good one.